evening to you. Proverbs chapter 22, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We find ourselves in the book of Proverbs this evening. If you're with us and you're not, you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. And just wave and get their attention and they will get a Bible into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home as a gift from the Lord to you tonight. Proverbs chapter 22, we left things off at verse 4, so pick things up tonight in verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse or the wicked. He who guards his soul will be far from them. And so we're reminded, as we're reminded regularly in the Bible, that the life of the wicked is filled with problems, filled with snares, and filled with thorns. And so if you've ever kind of um, been late in the summer and uh, you find a, a blackberry bush and all of the easy ones to get to have been picked off and all those luscious ones right there in the middle and you decide to reach in there and you just think you can get and then you slip right into it. Oh, you're going to do some damage, aren't you? <laughs> Lots of thorns and all of that. That's the life of the wicked. And again, the indoctrination of the culture is to endeavor to make us think they're living the greatest life that can be lived, that that's something we should want, everything that they have that we should emulate and all. And God's Word says, don't be fooled by the outward appearances. Their life is miserable and uh, steer clear of their influence. Verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Probably the book of Proverbs is filled with verses on training children. This is probably the most famous one of all. The word train carries the idea of dedicating. Dedicate, train up a child in the way he should go. And I think that raising a child uh, is to begin by dedicating the child to the Lord, recognizing that child is a stewardship from God, been given to me to raise in the nurture and the admonition uh, of the Lord. So um, uh, Mia Bella this morning, I got to dedicate her. She was wearing this kind of a fur coat. That's what I said was meaning when I talked about Joan Namath, not her face. <laughs> No comparison between her face and Joe Namath's face, at least not now. And uh, so the, here are these baby dedications that are made that we do on Sundays. We dedicate the children to the Lord, acknowledging, as we did this morning, Lord, she is yours. She's a gift from you, and she has your purposes attached to her life. And uh, we are committing to raise her. Uh, in your ways, on your behalf. When it says train up a child, the idea is begin early, begin when they're a child. It's harder uh, the longer you wait. They're to be raised in the way that he should go, not in the way that he wants to go uh, or the world wants it to go or even sometimes how I want to do things in the way that he should go. And uh, in other words, be the parent and don't be afraid to fashion the child and the way that they should go, which is always uh, God's way. And then the uh, promise 
that's given here, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And as a general rule, that promise is true, but it isn't an absolute promise. It is a principle. And um, the uh, every child that is raised, including our own, we raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We raise them in the way that they should go. And then there comes a point where their relationship with God or lack of relationship is uh, no, no longer, their relationship is no longer an extension of our own. Now they've got to get their own and decide whether they're going to walk with God or not. And uh, sometimes they decide not to do that. And so God doesn't take their free will away and say, you were born in a Christian home and uh, you were raised in the things of Christ and so you are going to be forced and taken into heaven against your will. I don't want anybody in heaven against their will one day. They make heaven terrible. So they're going to, you know, be up there smoking and standing on the corner and <laughs> trying to deal drugs and stuff. It would be completely legal if they were in... Washington or Colorado. <laughs> now, heaven is filled with volunteers, people that want to be there. And because we've raised our children in the things of the Lord, it is not an absolute guarantee that they will come back. But the odds are better that they will come back than if they weren't raised in the things of the Lord. If we can speak of odds in terms of how the Lord works in people's uh, lives. So we raise them in the way of the Lord God will always honor that. He will, he, there's a reward waiting for that. He will always honor that in our son or our daughter's lives and endeavoring to bring them into a relationship with him. But um, uh, they do have a free will, and that proverb doesn't violate that free will. The, rule, the rich rules over the poor, and uh, so poverty... Uh, makes a person vulnerable to abuse at the hands of the rich. That goes on uh, all around the world. It doesn't mean that the poor are always virtuous or that they're always wicked or that the rich are always virtuous or always wicked. But um, in general, poverty does make a person more vulnerable to abuse at the hands of the rich. And the borrower is servant to the lender. And so um, in terms of the uh, rich ruling over the poor, it isn't right. The Bible, does, in some of these Proverbs, it isn't a commending of everything that's spoken of. It's just the way that it is in this uh, fallen world. But it's interesting how quickly everything can change at the moment of death. Who's rich and who's poor, boom. In one moment, it all changes. Lazarus and the rich man. And Jesus spoke of them both. He didn't speak of it as a parable. He spoke of it as if everybody who he was talking to knew Lazarus and the rich man. They could identify them from the city, from the neighborhood. And at one mo- moment, the rich man was no longer what you would categorize as rich on the wrong side of Abraham's bosom. And the poor man was in Abraham's bosom. It talks here about the borrower being a servant to the lender. And, of course, that's true. A borrower is vulnerable to the lender. Debt is a form of bondage, and it does result in a loss of freedom. And that's something to bear in mind. He who, bears, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and 
the rod of his anger will fall. And so this part one, when it says, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, the emphasis is on will. That's for sure. He will reap sorrow. So sin is pleasurable for a season. It's a very short season. And almost immediately, it's followed by sorrow and uh, trouble. When it talks about the rod of his anger, it's talking about uh, the man, the wicked man who uses his intimidation to uh, 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 take advantage of other people. And so the wicked achieve what they achieve by anger and fear and intimidation. God says it will not last. And so this proverb is a very important one. Uh, verse 8, sometimes they're more or less meaningful in our lives for where we are in the world where we're born into the world, where we're raised in the world. But this proverb is intended to give great hope to the millions and millions and millions of Christians who are um, born and raised and grow up and spend their entire life in countries that are ruled by this kind of a person. Ultimately, uh, it will fail. Uh, The meek are going to inherit the earth. Verse 9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. So another proverb praising generosity to the poor, and uh, it's coupled here with a promise that God will bless that kind of a person. And uh, I have no doubt that God God will never be our debtor. I I have no doubt that anything anyone gives to the poor is something that God is going to repay physically related to our lives. But it isn't just physical. Isn't it funny? When you do something for someone who is poor or they're in need, um, what the afterglow of that event is one of the greatest feelings in life. And uh, that's the reward of having done what God calls us to do. Why do we feel that when we do that for somebody in need? We feel it because it's the right way to live. And we do and we feel it because when we do that at that moment, we are very, very much uh, like uh, God. And so God will reward us as we have a generous eye uh, toward the poor. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Could it be that easy? Yes, it could be that easy. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. So you remove the troublemaker from your life or from a situation, and the result will be peace, the end of all of the fighting and all of the strife. Sometimes you've got to pull back and you go, wow, could it really be that simple? Yeah, it really is that simple and, and uh, something that we ought to think about. Think about how many problems go unresolved in life. Not because they can't be resolved and can't be easily resolved, but because there is one person or two persons or a handful of people who uh, is not interested in solving the problem. They've got a bad attitude. They just like to fight. Do you realize there are people in life who just like to fight? They don't want anything solved. Want to fight till their dying breath, and uh, so they like to cause trouble. But when you remove that person from the situation, or even from your life, uh, trouble is removed as a result. And so, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch, girl. So, 
You remove them. Now, it's interesting that Jesus did that. Remember when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, and he finally, through quite a series of events, the healing of the woman with the issue of blood and all, he comes to the home of Jairus, and he's brought up into the room where uh, the daughter has died, and he speaks about the fact that he is going to heal this child. Stop weeping, the professional mourners and criers that were uh, there doing all of that. And when Jesus spoke that word of faith into that situation, his word into that situation, they began to mock him and scorn him. And the Bible is interesting because Jesus could have just as easily in the midst of all of their howling and their mocking and their scorning, gone ahead and healed her and raised her from the dead. But he didn't do that. He put the mockers out of the room, and then he did the miracle. And I think that sometimes you could be, you, some of us can be sitting in this room today and your life is one end, unending nightmare because of some mocker or scorner that is in your life. You feel, this is what I gotta put up with this for the rest of my life. Put them out. Put them out. And then peace will come into your life. He who loves purity of heart has grace on his lips and the king will be his friend. So here you have a person who has a pure heart and they have a, a, a lips that are filled with grace. They know how to say things in a gracious way and, uh, and that kind of a person is going to end up even having making friends of kings or royalty. It doesn't matter whether a person is a king or a queen or wherever we might be in life. Everybody likes to be around that kind of a person. You say, that guy's got a pure heart and nothing but sweetness comes out of his mouth. I want him to be around me. Even kings want those kind of people around them. It's a great way to... Uh, develop and, uh, and become attractive to others for friendship. And, of course, the opposite of it is true. But we like the positive angle of it here in verse 11. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. And this teaches us that truth in the world, it has a guardian. Truth has a guardian, has a protector in this world. And truth's guardian is none other than God himself. And God protects his knowledge in this world. It's never, ever going to be defeated by the words of the faithless as it speaks here. Those who reject God and reject his word, you don't have to worry about it. In all of church history and human history, there's been the ebb and flow where um, you know, the world has become more and more wicked and has risen up in a stronger kind of threat to God and His truth. Again, as if we can speak of anything being a threat to God, but it looks like His Word and His truth is on the ropes. Is it going to make it, you know, or is there going to be a next generation of Christians or will all of the postmodern post-toasties, rice krispies, whoever all these people are going to wipe all of it out with their new way of thinking and all. It'll never happen. It will never happen. Jesus said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my word will never pass away. And there will always be people who will be hungry and eager 
to hear God's Word, to obey God's Word, to live the life that is found in that. It's wonderful to realize. As we see so much moving in the wrong direction today in our country to realize that truth is not on the ropes. It may be in the minority, but it's not on the ropes. Truth has a guardian in the Lord himself. Verse 13, the lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I can't go to work. I shall be slain in the street. So this uh, illustrates how extreme uh, an excuse the lazy person will try to come up with in order to resort to uh, avoiding work. So why didn't you go to work today? There, there's a lion outside. It was raining penguins. How could I go to work? Just come up with some kind of a crazy idea. Of course, in Israel, in the cities, there were no lions in the street or anything like that. It might be speaking to the fact that he looked outside, saw a cat, and then he exaggerated it into a lion in his mind. Benjamin Franklin said, the man who's good at making excuses is seldom good for anything else. And, uh, And that's true of the lazy person in protecting his laziness. Verse 14, the mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. Man, that is a trap. And he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. And so the person who believes, anyone who believes anything that an immoral woman is saying to him is not very smart. You're such a big hunk of a man. I've been waiting my whole life for someone like you. And you think, oh boy, listen, she said it a thousand other times to a thousand other men. You're nothing special. It's a trap. She just knows how to trap men. Don't fall for that. And, and uh, God warns that he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. In other words, to commit that kind of... Uh, immorality. It's an act of rebellion against God, and it runs the risk of having God abandon them in their sin. So there is something worse than uh, God convicting us when we're committing sin, and that worst thing is to experience God's silence, to just give us over to that particular sin. should always repent of sin while we're still hearing his voice of conviction because we have no assurance that we will always uh, hear that and turn. So we don't want God leaving us in a place of sin. Verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Do you realize there's a fool inside of your child? You say, where'd that fool come from? All right, let's go back a step. Do you believe there's a fool bound up in you? All right. I believe it about me. And if you don't believe it about you, I will have five witnesses by noon tomorrow who will testify to the same thing. No, we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. There is a fool inside of every single one of us. And so our children, they're just like every other descendant of Adam and Eve. Uh, they've, they've got a fool inside of them, and it'll take correction, discipline, and that includes uh, spankings and uh, corporal punishment or applied psychology or the Board of Education, all these words that get used for that in order to rid them of their 
foolishness and where foolishness would want to take them. So this proverb is intended to encourage um, the parent who is reluctant to discipline or train of their child that it is needed. Verse 16, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches becomes rich off the back of the poor. How in the world does a person live with themselves doing that? And it happens all over the world. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to Poverty. So if you have an employer, so to speak, who is paying starvation wages to his employees, this goes on again all over the world, God says, is going to lead to poverty. And the person who uses bribes and gifts to gain, uh, in an attempt to gain favoritism from the rich, that it's going to end up in poverty as well. Jesus taught that we should always give to those who cannot uh, repay us. We should never, ever, ever take advantage of a poor p- person or the, the vulnerability of their situation at that moment in time in their life. And then we come to verse 17 and verses, uh, in verse 17 all the way through to the end of uh, chapter 24, uh, this uh, is a section of Proverbs that were written by wise men other than Solomon. And so, a series of other writers inspired by the Holy Spirit. And verses uh, 17 to 21 constitute the introduction to that section. And so uh, they write, Incline your ear, pay attention, and listen and hear the words of the wise. And apply your heart to my knowledge, for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you, meditating on these Proverbs, memorizing these Proverbs, let them all be fixed upon your lips. Speak them to others so that your trust may be in the Lord and a God who's as wise as he is. I've instructed you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may answer words of truth to those who send you. And so the writer here, the teacher, wants them uh, to show their masters or their parents or uh, their family or whoever has sent them now to learn uh, uh, how much he has learned by listening to these Proverbs and then being able to make these Proverbs their own and then carry them off to other people's lives too. Isn't it interesting that I think it's good to realize that every time we are studying the Bible in a way that we are doing so uh, tonight or in any other church or environment or maybe you're streaming a Bible study online or something like that to realize that any time we're listening to God's wisdom, we're, we, we want it to impact our own lives. And, of course, we're most conscious of that, our own need for edification and all. But to realize that when we sit in a room like this, we are listening not only for ourselves, but we are listening for others. So that this truth then becomes a part of our lives, it becomes a part of our understanding of God, and then as we run into other people who have a misunderstanding of God or their situation, we can then speak into uh, their lives. And so he says, now pay attention, listen to what I'm going to tell you, apply your heart to all of it, memorize this, meditate upon it, so that you can share it with others and that they can 
have a greater faith in the Lord as a result of it. Verse 22, do not rob the poor because he's poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. And the gate represented the place of justice or judgment in the uh, ancient world. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. So another warning, not to take advantage of the poor, not to take advantage of the vulnerable and the weak and the defenseless. It reminds us that the poor have a champion in God who will, he promises, he will plunder those who plunder the poor. And so often people look at the poor and they look like an easy prey. This is going to be so easy. I'll just get a thousand of them and then I'll turn this into this and we'll do this and all of that. And it looks like nobody, these people do not have a voice. I mean, they're not unionized or they're not this or they're not that or no. And God says, they have a voice in me. And you take advantage of them and uh, I am and plunder them, then I will plunder you. I will make it a point to defend them. Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. Do not go. So here's a guy who just blows up. He just got off the phone. I'm going to go. You come with me. And so you get piled into the car, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. So the warning to stay away from a hot-tempered man and against being a friend of that kind of person because anger is contagious. You think about how uh, our jails and our prisons are just filled with people who followed a hot-tempered person into a situation and the calmer person thought it was just going to be this and then this guy just went off and then pretty soon somebody's getting stabbed or somebody's shooting somebody or somebody's running somebody over or whatever and now you're an accomplice in the whole thing and behind bars. It happens all of the time. And so a hot-tempered man is a dangerous man. Just one moment of passion like that and it can ruin your whole life, steer clear of them. We'll stop there tonight, and we'll pick things up in verse 26 uh, next time we come together um, next Sunday night.